Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. We hope you'll come along for the conversation, and you can be part of that conversation by leaving comments at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 63. You'll also find related notes and links for this episode at the same place. I'm John Polstra. And I'm Greg Monteith. So Greg's still at Swiss Labrie, living the dream, living in paradise, as he likes to tell me sometimes, and had a recent opportunity to give a lecture on his thesis. So I was curious to hear maybe what you lectured on, maybe some new insights you gained as a result of giving that lecture, Mm -hmm. the reaction from the people that were at your lecture, and maybe just I don't know, new ideas and discussion that came from it, particularly if there was anything controversial or maybe something mm-hmm. that you stirred up there. So mm-hmm. <laughs> break it down for us. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, it was really, it was, it was a, it's a great opportunity. I've got delivered one lecture, have another one coming this Friday. And so the thesis um, is about, Really, how do we go about it's identifying a problem, uh, and it's a problem about how, in current biblical hermeneutics, how uh, really Christian scholars, certain Christian scholars, are advising people, advising Christians about reading the Bible and finding that there are some some difficulties in those presentations, specifically um, what I'm challenging is the idea that certain authors are prioritizing, uh, let's say, the work of the Holy Spirit. And they're prioritizing it over the effect of uh, uh, finiteness and fallenness. So you might kind of contrast that as the Holy Spirit effects of sin, if you like. And what I'm trying to suggest is that these perspectives should be seen uh, as being living tensions. So that's I mean, it's very much along the lines of what Greg Lowry, the director here at Swiss Libri, uh, is frequently talking about. Putting this in the context, so understanding this whole problem, if you like, in the context of the work of a particular philosopher whose name is Paul Ricoeur, and using two of the themes in his work to assist in focusing on the issue and then trying to work through a solution to the issue. And the two themes are trust and suspicion and ontology or being, existence, living in the world, and epistemology. So knowing, understanding, what we think. So it's called, the the title is Reversing Trust and Suspicion, Integrating Ontology and Epistemology. A dialogue with Paul Ricoeur, Evangelicals and Outsiders. And simply what that's saying is... uh, um, I think we're trusting some things. We need to reverse trust and suspicion. We're trusting some things we shouldn't as Christians, particularly as evangelicals. And we're suspicious of things that I think we should trust a little bit more. My perspective is, again, in the biblical hermeneutics, by and large, a number of authors that are seen as being kind of prominent uh, figures for teaching and uh, helping Christians evangelical Christians to understand how to read the Bible, 
there's not a good integration between what it is to exist as a human being and what it is to know things like no truth, like no biblical truth. So yeah, I delivered the first lecture. That was good. I, <laughs> I sent out two handouts before the lecture and gave, uh, gave one more during the lecture. Um, maybe the, maybe the, the thing that you might find the most interesting, John, is um, I thought about, you know, how am I going to do this? How do you talk about? So the whole idea of suspicion is um, um, particularly uh, what I'm doing is I'm trying to work with Freud and Nietzsche. So wait, real quick. What was the goal of the lecture? Did, was the goal just to present your thesis? Maybe you said the stage. That's what I thought. Yeah, I, I, I originally had thought that I wanted them to just to, uh, that I, you know I was here to present my thesis and I was just going to present it. And I've done this once before, and I could tell I had maybe an hour to present and I presented, and I could tell by the questions that were being asked that I had lost. Everybody in the audience. Oh no! Somewhere between five and fifteen <laughs> minutes in, oh, no. and I just thought, I don't want to do that again. No, right? I don't want to just like cram. Like no, I wasn't even cramming stuff down people's throats. I was just kind of doing this high level overview, and they just got lost. And so I thought, okay, what has to happen here for this to be real for these people? Like I guess I, I broke it down into three kind of perspectives. On the one hand, I want you to understand me, right? So my goal is to be understandable. Uh, my goal is to be, well, I guess, uh, how can I say this? I, I want I want to be clear enough for you to understand me. I want to present the problem in a way that, that it grips you or that you can relate to it in some sense. And then I want to be convincing. And I really didn't think I could do all three of those in one lecture. So I was settling for in this lecture, I want to be clear enough so you understand and I want to put the problem out there so you can get it. So it seems like as much as possible a problem to you because I think it's a problem generally. I don't think it's just, you know, in my mind. Okay, so if you can, in other words, if you can get agreement on what the problem is, then talking about the solution will make much more sense. Exactly. Okay. Yep. So, but what the problem is, at least to begin with, this, this kind of um, issue of uh, trust and suspicion, um, the problem with that in that regard is what we call false consciousness. It's, it's, Doing things, it's, it's basically a, having a sense of how and how much we do the things that we disavow. So the things we claim we don't do, we actually do. And not only that, we set up systems that we don't acknowledge. Like this isn't some game. In other words, that it, what Freud and Marx and Nietzsche, and, and the reason, one of the reasons I'm looking at them is their, their, their criticisms of Christians and Christianity are remarkably similar to what the prophets are saying in the Old Testament. That's an interesting like the, cast of characters. <laughs> they're, they're, well, and this is it, you know? And, and, and so Christians have an extremely hard time with, with uh, listening to atheists and thinking that atheists have anything to say. So my, the, you know, the second catch line or the second, I guess, uh, subtitle of the thesis is a dialogue with Paul Ricoeur, evangelicals and outsiders. So some of those outsiders are atheists. They're, you know, literally it's, it's working with Nietzsche's work and Freud's work to say, what can we as Christians learn from these guys? Um, and yeah, there's a, there's That's a definitely there's unconventional. A, yeah. Well, it, it is, but the similarity between what they're saying and what the prophets are, have said is remarkable, you know, and in some ways, Mar uh, Freud and Marx and Nietzsche, I didn't look at Marx, but you could put them in that group are seeing it in a kind of a fresh way. There's a, there are different slants and perspectives, you know, and, 
and I'm not going to agree with everything they say necessarily. And, and I'm not going to necessarily agree with their conclusions that, you know, it's all down to faith. Faith is the issue. Faith is, is itself an illusion. Um, I think there's more going on than that. But that doesn't mean that I throw them out, right? Um, and particularly the problem is, 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 is gets to be really kind of um, poignant when you say, you know what, there are things going on in, in, in our Christian community where, you know, we claim to love our neighbors and we're not. We claim to um, seek truth and we don't. And we've set up ways of protecting ourselves from these practices of ignoring truth and disregarding people while all the while insulating ourselves from any critique about that. And so if I'm going to bring that out, if I'm going to talk to that, that's a problem. How do I show people that? So how did you? Well, um, I, I'm betting that at least some of the people, for some, at least some of the people there, um, this is an issue. And I guess I'll start with the issue and then tell you what I did to bring it out. What I see to be the issue is that our churches have taught us that biblical truth, and you're gonna, I think you're going to get, I, I'm, I'm interested to <laughs> I'm see gonna what you're going to say up. about this. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I'm really curious now. This is really good. I thought of you when I was doing this, and I thought I used some of your wording. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I did. I seriously did. I think my hunch and my experience in talking to other people, so not just sort of some idea I'm picking out of the air, but um, you know, maybe not obviously for everybody either. I'm not saying this is global, but I'm saying it's there. And it's causing some issues. But the point I'm looking at or what I'm focusing on is the notion that um, our churches have presented to us that biblical truth functions in the form of propositions that are used to create principles. And those principles then form Christian faith. They inform Christian faith in terms of, say, theology. They go into our theologies. And they inform how we, we are supposed to, you know, interact with other people. And in my view, and in my experience of living as a human being, um, biblical truth and the, the picture I have of human beings in the Bible portrays a situation where we live with a multiplicity of offsetting tensions. So I live... And function best as a, as a human being because that's who I am and the type of being I am. When I seek to strike the right balance in different situations between tensions such as confidence and humility. Between you know, things being related to me and things being distinct from me. There are a bunch of others that I could, I, I'm, I'm trying to bring to my mind and I'll try to bring those. But... Confidence and humility is, is a big one. I mean, we've talked about this. We talked about really between confidence and arrogance um, just the last podcast, right? And some of the questions are the one before that uh, with, uh, with Eric. But, but it's the same sort of basic idea that we don't want to collapse these tensions into hierarchies. So a hierarchy would say, and this, well, the whole thing about love and truth, right? So love and truth is again, it's, it's part of a living tension that helps me as a human being exist better. What does it mean that it's a tension? It means that these two things are kind of in conversation with each other. And in certain situations, love is going to take, if you like, the, the prominent position over truth. 
It's going to speak back to my notions of truth. You know what, Greg? That might have been a, a true thing to say, but you just kind of walked all over that guy. So, you know, you got to think twice about that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You know what? That's right. I've got to think. I've... I was going to say, take it back to, though, you were starting to say biblical, was it biblical teaching, biblical truth, biblical principles. Like, where does that all end up? Well, I think it ends up that um, when we're, <laughs> see, this is, this is the kicker. What, what I see happening is that we're, we're being taught by our, by our pastors, by our Sunday school teachers, uh, by, our, by our Christian you know, community, that biblical truth functions by way of uh, propositions or, you know, like uh, pieces of data, like God is spirit or God is love or these other things. And we use these to create principles. And we work with these principles that we compile together into theology or we use to understand, you know, how we're supposed to practice our daily Christian life, how we're supposed to be a Christian in the world. And instead, what I'm seeing and what I believe is there in the Bible and what I experience in my life is that I live with a whole bunch of tensions, knowing something and not knowing everything, being uh, able to make, you know, um, there's a whole bunch that, 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 for instance, Greg would talk about dependent independence, uh, subjective objectivity. You know, I want to be as objective as possible, realizing I'm a subjective human being. So you're saying the principles, the, the principles that then get distilled are much more black and white than the lived reality. Is that well, or, yeah. not black, maybe black and white is not the right term, but it, they're, they're made to be like, this is just the principle without mm-hmm. saying, no, mm-hmm. there's a tension here. This is actually difficult and it, it 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 can't be lived out 100% 100% of the time is that where yes and it gives us the impression part of what we have as an understanding from our christian backgrounds is that biblical truth doesn't contradict itself well what do you do here i mean here's what i did i created four statements uh they're basically about they're from from prominent or fairly prominent um uh, authors, Christian academicians, so Christian scholars who are authoring books on biblical hermeneutics. And then I put them, I gave them to everybody and I said, what do you think about these? Would you change anything? Would you add anything? Would you remove anything? Do you basically agree with these? For people that don't understand, for people that aren't familiar with the term biblical hermeneutics, which is a huge mouthful, what is yeah. that? What, what does that mean? How we interpret the Bible. Okay. What's our, what are our principles and our way of seeing the Bible? It's not literally going like, what does Acts 8.24 mean? It's what are the things that I need to understand and the dispositions and kind of orientations I need to have so that when I do go and ask what Acts 24, 8.24 means, I'm going to, you know, odds on get the, the better interpretation, get the best one I can get. It's aimed at understanding the Bible better. Okay, so you were so – you had four different prominent people that work in this area of understanding the Bible, mm-hmm. and you presented. Go back to that. It's, I guess pick up from there. <laughs> okay, so I just gave them four three-line statements. So they got twelve lines to read, and I basically said, "Do you agree? Would you change, add, or remove anything to these?" And just kind of, I gave it to them a, a couple days in advance, and let it sit with them. So they'd have some time to think about it. And then in the lecture, you know, I said to them, you know, what did you think? 
It was general general agreement, and there was a sense of, well, you know, these aren't exhaustive, and blah blah blah. And I thought, okay, cool. What were they? Is it is it worth? You want me to read them? Yeah, why not? Well, let me read the first one. You can tell me if you want me to read the rest. Okay. So this is an example. This one, first one's on the Holy Spirit. Quote. No, well, I'm not going to quote. This is just me writing, um, but I am paraphrasing a quotation of of that of a, of, a, of a scholar, and and this is my paraphrase of his work of his thought on this point. His point was, essentially, the Holy Spirit makes Christians better. It doesn't simply improve, it actually changes them. As a result, Christians can perceive the world and the things in it more truthfully, particularly as the Holy Spirit develops within Christians a new openness to hearing God's word in God's way. Okay. So I think I would yeah, keep reading them. I, I would hear keep that. And, okay. I would hear that and think, yeah, I think most people would agree with that. Continue. Okay, sure. Uh, number two, Christian traditions, and particularly theology, play key roles in what we interpret the Bible to mean and why we interpret it as we do. So our view of Scripture will seem valid to others if they hold to the same general tradi- traditions and theology as we do. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that one too. Okay. <laughs> something tells okay. me. Something tells me. Uh, <laughs> keep going. Okay, number three. The Bible is our best way of knowing God and is best understood through proper exegesis, which emphasizes that the Bible's meaning is what it meant at the time of writing to its original audience. Exegesis assesses this meaning by examining both the text's context and content. Oh, that one's tricky. That one has, well... (laughs) Mm, so when I hear, saying? well, no, I hear that one. I hear the first part because you and I have discussed this a lot. And I would just, <laughs> I would now, previously I would have said, yes, I agree. The Bible is the best way to know God. And now I would seriously qualify that. But I think what's interesting in that one is there are several other twists and turns that make it hard to, to agree with or disagree with, I guess. So Okay. But I, I want to come back to your, your point about qualifying. Okay. We don't want to have to talk about it now, but I want to come back to it. Okay. Okay, so number four, we best exegete, that is, get to the text original meaning when we recognize that our background and culture can mislead us. So to understand what God really said or intended in the Bible, and so know God, we must never start with the present or with our experiences, but focus instead on the text. Hmm. Wait, read that one again. Okay. We best exegete, that is, get to the text's original meaning, when we recognize that our background and culture can mislead us. So to understand what God really said or intended in the Bible, and so know God, we must never start with the present or our experiences, but instead focus on the text. Yeah, I think I've probably talked to you too much. <laughs> to, to, I, I would think most people would probably agree with that, but I would not completely agree with that one either. Okay. So you put wanna... so you put these four out there, and then yeah. where like where did how did things unfold? What what happened next? Well, again, like here's the problem, right? Not necessarily. What, what I'm trying to do, and uh, is get people to see. Potentially, if I'm right about this idea, right, if I'm right about this idea that churches are essentially giving us the, 
understanding that biblical truth, truth comes in, as propositions and we use those to create principles. And of course, that biblical truth doesn't contradict itself. If I'm right that this is something that's, that's happening with most people, how do I get them to see that? Right? And I'm not there to try to fix them, but I want the problem to kind of, you know, it's like, it's like when you, you're looking at a, a, a 3D image, you know, so with, with on paper and you can put on those glasses and all of a sudden it pops out at you. I want it to pop. I want the problem to pop. I want them to go, oh, oh, that's interesting. Right? Whatever they do with it, whether it's a problem for them in their lives or whether they can just kind of recognize it. Oh, yeah, I can see that now. That's what I'm looking for. So I gave them these and I basically said, what would you do with them? So I think what I've heard you say is number one and two, mm, sounds okay. And then you wanted to put qualifiers <laughs> on three, maybe on four. Yeah. Well, and that's, okay. and that's as a result of, yeah, uh, anyone that's listened to a, a bunch of pod, a bunch of our podcasts, I think would probably see some of the places where I'm like, mm, I'm not so sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, and this is, this is the type, the type of thing I got back from them was, Hey, don't, don't give me three sentences on the, the Holy Spirit. Right. And tell me that. <laughs> Which and, would be our critique as well. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. And, and I said very quickly, I said, listen, guys, there's like 20 books. You know, I'm in the, I'm in the lecture hall and the, it, it's also the library. And so I pointed over the shelf. I said, listen, I know that there are 10 books over there on the Holy Spirit. And I know that I'm not summarizing those 10 books in three sentences. That's not what I'm getting at. So we could write a whole bunch more, but are you basically happy with what we've said here? Or is there something, anything that you would kind of put in with this? And they all said they're basically happy. Once we got around the whole, you know, it's not exhaustive thing. Okay. Next step, I put up a slide with number one on the left-hand side, and then I put an offsetting statement across from number one and the same thing with two and three and four and i asked them what they thought of these and i was pretty sure that they were going to all say yeah these are good and that's just what i wanted to leave them with at that point was okay you said number one was okay and now you've got something that's almost contradicting number one and you're okay with that too how does that feel how does that sit with you and I had one person come up to me after, and, and it, you know, I, one of the things I recognize, and I, I, I kind of mentioned this at the beginning of the lecture, is that in terms of this material, I spent an awful lot of time with it. Presenting it, I haven't done too many presentations. So there, were, there was a moment there, and I'll do it with you as I would have done it now in retrospect, learning from that situation, but... Somebody came up to me later and, and I was talking with them and uh, my, my, my big question to them was, how does this sit with you? You like the first set of statements and now you've got four that contradict them and you like them too. Um, what's that about? And the one question I was going to ask them, the main question is, is this a trick? Do you feel like I'm asking you a trick question here? And my hunch is almost all those people would have said yes. And one person did come up to me later and she said, yeah, I kind of felt like you were trick tricking me. And I think they were a little too nice to tell me. Tricking, think, tricking in a sense of, oh, you tricked me, now I get it? Or tricking as in, I feel like you 
manipulated me. Or I feel manipulated and it's a negative experience. Uh, negative experience. Huh. And that's what I'm, that's what I was hunching I was going to get. I mean, let me read you just the Now, first... is that okay? Is that where you, like, that sounds like, yeah. oh, that would have been a negative outcome, but. No, that would have been very positive, I think. For people to have felt manipulated. This sounds wrong. <laughs> Maybe well, I'm not okay. tracking with you. Keep going. <laughs> no, well, let's, let's dig into it, right? So I wanted to know, my first question, is this a trick? Am I asking you a trick question? So what's the difference between a trick question and a hard question? Well, I would say a trick question is, is you evoke a response from me that is not a response that I'm totally comfortable with. Okay. But what, what makes it a trick and not just hard? Mm, I don't know. Can I suggest something? Please. <laughs> okay. I think, I think a trick question isn't entirely fair. I think that's what we're getting at. It's like, oh, come on. Uh, okay. So in other words, a question where you're kind of trapped, where there's, yeah. there's no fair way out. Yeah. Okay, so I like I, that. What I'm, what I'm thinking, what I'm, what I'm hunching at, if their background and their, their first response is, biblical truth comes by way of propositions used to make principles. And by the way, it doesn't contradict itself. Here I'm presenting them with essentially with contradictions. So here's my first one. I read the first one about the Holy Spirit makes Christians better. So the Holy Spirit, I'll just con- just do this little comparison here. So you get the sense of it, right? But I'll read the whole first one from the first four statements, and then I'll read the first one from the second four. So to repeat the first one, the Holy Spirit makes Christians better. It doesn't simply improve, it actually changes them. As a result, Christians can perceive the world and the things in it more truthfully particularly as the Holy Spirit develops within Christians a new openness to hearing God's word in God's way. That's number one from the first set. This is number one from the second set. The Holy Spirit changes Christians not by improving their capacities, but by reorienting their expectations so that they now perceive themselves as recipients or addressees of directed acts of commitment or promise. And then accompanying that, Sin affects not only how we act, but how and so what we know. When it comes to knowledge, sin means suppressing or monopolizing the truth. So the Roman Catholic domination of Latin America or the Dutch Calvinist support of South African apartheid show that, and this is a quote, correct beliefs can be just as useful in suppressing the truth as falsehood. So the first one was saying it makes you better. Makes you know the world more truthfully, makes you more open to hearing God's word in God's way. The second one says, I don't think it does that. I think it makes you see yourself as though the text is being addressed to you. And by the way, um, have you seen what's, what the Roman Catholic Church did in, South, uh, in Central America or the Dutch Calvinist Church did in South Africa or we could add the, the, the National Socialist Church did in Germany in the 1930s? Um, they had great doctrine, you know, and they had the Holy Spirit, and they totally blew it. So it's it's creating that tension, right? Because I think nobody disagreed with the second set of four. I can read them all to you if you like, but um, everybody was in agreement. My question is: was is this a trick? Is this a trick question? Meaning, is this unfair? 
And what I was hunching is that most people would say yes, because most people would come from a background that says biblical truth does not contradict itself. Why? Because it comes in the form of propositions. Now, here's the kicker. Where's the trick? Because the thing I didn't tell you <laughs> is that I sent them – well, I did actually. I mentioned this. I didn't tell, what, tell you what it, what it contained. I sent them my – a summary of my thesis with a statement of the problem and I sent them that as the first handout and they had four days with that one. And then two days later, I sent them these four statements and they had another two days of that. So essentially, I tipped them off before the lecture about what I was going to do in the lecture. So where's the trick? I told them what I was going to do and then I did it. I told them I was looking at overemphasis of the Holy Spirit and the underemphasis of sin. On each one of these points, I did exactly what I told them I was going to do. And it's still a trick. So where's the trick? I don't know. I'm getting lost. <laughs> okay. It's starting to sound kind of meta. <laughs> okay. Here's, here's the deal here. Uh, I'll, I'll just give it to you. I didn't trick them. I tipped them off so that they knew exactly what I was going to do. So if they're in there and they're feeling tricked, this is the pointer back to where the trick take place. The trick took place in your churches a long time ago or whenever it was when they told you that biblical truth works like this, but the real world you find out works like with tensions. You're in a tension between knowing and not knowing, confidence and humility, between trusting things and suspecting things, trust and suspicion, between things being related and things being distinct. Where's the, in other words, the whole thing about the trick is it's not fair. Well, what wasn't fair? It wasn't fair that your churches told you the biblical truth works like this and you live in a world that works like that, yet they claim that biblical truth is related to and makes sense in light of the whole, in light of the world, in light of living in the world. Huh? Wow. How does that happen? You, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I totally do. I totally it's do. It's like being lied to. So the experience that I wanted people to, and, and of course, you might have come from a church that didn't say that. So that might not be your experience, and that's totally cool. But at least one person in the room said to me, yeah, it felt like a trick, and I'm, gonna, I'm sending out my next handout, and I'm kind of just bringing this out and putting it down and saying, what do you think? And so I'll hear back from them. But the reality is, if there's a trick that was played, in other words, if something was unfair that was done, then it was done in their, you know, in terms of the church telling them something about the Bible that doesn't mesh with the real world, and yet claiming all the while that the Bible makes sense in light of the real world and living in the world. Well, those two things can't be true. So we've got a problem here. And then the other thing, the other thing that's the real, that's really interesting is that, so Greg's been working here 26 years now. And he, uh, one of the things that he'll say is that people are, that, that come here, the students are, they're more and more and more and more suspicious. They'll pot potentially suspicious of the wrong things. Well, what happens when somebody tricks you? Well, they're not treating you fairly, perhaps. So let's just go with that as a kind of way of describing, you know, being tricked. Well, how do you feel about somebody that's not treating you fairly? Well, you probably don't think they respect you. And if you don't respect somebody, can you trust them? Mm, maybe not. 
Yeah, and I was going to throw people... in there. I was going to throw in there maybe resentful too. Yeah, or a little kind of like, eh, I'm not going to get too close to you because yeah, I I feel kind of hurt because I feel like you tricked me or manipulated me or whatever. So yeah, yeah, I'm gonna. I'm not going to, yeah, I'm going to keep my distance and I'm not going to trust you. And I'm also maybe going to be a little mad at you. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and this, this is, I mean, I think you're going to relate to this. I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this too, but so people come here and they're very suspicious of themselves. Like they can't get it. Christianity doesn't make sense. And, you know, I must not be doing things right or whatever. You you know, this message, right? Oh Yeah. exactly but but well hold on wait 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 so where does this come from if 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 what i'm suggesting is in some way accurate that churches teach christians that biblical truth comes in the form of propositions that do not contradict themselves and they form principles out of them instead of coming by way of tensions and this has an effect whereby people like live in the world and they say, hey, you know what? This, this, this thing about biblical truth and the way it works, well, the world works in a different way. And yet you're telling me that the biblical, the Bible has everything to say to, to people, you know, to human beings like me and to people who aren't Christians. And it, 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 it's kind of, you know, got the goods on how we live life and what life is about. Well, what's going to happen out of that? People are going to, you know, they don't, they're not going to feel at a certain level. And, I, and I'm not saying that, they, that everybody in, in churches is feeling like this because the, just the point is some of this is just, it's not in front of us. We don't see it, right? And I'm not suggesting that churches are, uh, this is not a, a conspiracy theory. Well, I would, Pastors, and they're doing their best job, right? But they've taken on views of truth, views of knowledge, views about how those two things relate and how they relate with experience and living in the world that don't mesh yeah i would broaden it i would i would broaden it beyond just saying churches or pastors i would just say my own personal experience was just christian subculture as a whole Mm. so whether it be the other christians that you know whether it be Mm -hmm. what you hear on sunday morning Mm -hmm. uh, in my case what you heard at christian university and the other people that you were surrounded there like you know i i yeah i totally get i I think I totally see where you went and where you're going because yes, when I went to Labrie so many years ago, I came thinking there was something wrong with me. Why couldn't I get it? Yes. And, and and what I came to find was, wait, I, I've somehow taken on a bunch of stuff that doesn't completely make sense. And I got rid of a bunch of it. And as you and I talk and still to this day, now I'm trying to put the pieces together in a way that does make sense. Uh, but I haven't completely got there. So that's why these conversations are great. I, I, I like, I really like the way you, 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 you said that. And I was surprised, I guess, when I realized that what Greg's saying is the same thing that you were saying and that these people are, are having the same sort of issue that they think there's something wrong with them. But Why? Well, uh, why would well? I, is that a rhetorical question or? <laughs> well, well, kind of. I guess what I'm saying is, the ch- the the church or Christian subculture. I mean, you're right. It's it's bigger than this, just the church. They've undermined the credibility of Christianity, but also they've tacitly bred mistrust in Christians. And so, when people are working super hard 
because like you had this idea, there's something wrong with me. Well, the people here have the same idea. As Greg would say, they're super suspicious of themselves. They're like, I, I must not be any good at this. I'm screwing this up. I'm just not doing things right. But this mistrust has come from the fact that what the church is preaching doesn't jive with real life. It doesn't make sense of real life, and yet they claim that it does. And so where do people look? They don't look to the church, and they don't look to their subculture to say, hey, guys, something wrong with this message. They look to themselves and think, oh, it just must be me. So this is a huge phenomenon. I guess I'm seeing that it's like I've heard your story, and, and I, I know that, that what you're saying happens to a lot of people. I'm just seeing that magnified by 10. So did this not happen to you? No. Interesting. No, not that way, right? Because mine was – well, here – this is another interesting point. I had a, had a meeting with uh, the former director here. Uh, the old former director of Swiss Libri, and and, I, and I'll attribute this comment to him. And he mentioned that you know what he saw are two issues, two issues about why people came here. And so it's you know people are coming here, there are problems with their faith due to two things. One is an application. So this is what I'm hearing you say: I can't make this thing work, uh, or or it doesn't apply, or some variation of that somewhere along the spectrum. This thing isn't working, whether that's my fault or I don't understand the application or I'm not working hard enough. That's number one. Number two is evil. Something's come along and it's painted, it's kind of cast God in a light where if you're there or if you're not, you know, you're, on, you're, you're at best second best. And, and I, don't, I don't want or need second best because you totally failed me. And, um, and that was my road, Right. I came from that. That that's why I walked away from my faith because of the I would say just experiences of evil, and then part of the reworking that I did subsequently in terms of you know digging into the Bible, reading um, you know uh, Christian uh, scholars and, and their work on various subjects, including you know Marx and Freud and Nietzsche. Actually, it's a Christian uh, author who made that comment. Merrill Westfall, in his book Suspicion and Faith, made the comment about the link in the uh, perspectives between Marx, Freud, and Nietzsche and the Old Testament prophets. So, but yeah, for me, it wasn't that direct, that direction. It was through the kind of, uh, the, 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 the pain point there for me was evil, where the pain point for you was, you know, it's not working. Yeah, well, right? yeah, I guess I would even qualify and say I would borrow a little from your category too. Okay. Uh, and yeah, I would, yeah. But I'm, I'm curious to get back to, so... I'm curious to to again hear more about the like how did people receive this? What was the response? And like what was the discussion that maybe you had afterwards? It seemed to be fairly well received, bearing in mind that yeah, I mean when you're a novice at something, you're a novice. And so I missed the point in the lecture where it was basically audience management, right? Where I would have said, "Okay, Greg," in my own head, "Okay, Greg." They're stuck. They're not getting any further. Ask the one incisive question. You know, and, and sometimes in mediation, uh, they'll say, never be afraid of stating the obvious. So the obvious question is, is this a trick? And then I've got everybody thinking. And if it's not a trick, they're just going to say, mm, not sure what you're talking about, guy. But if it is, I'm giving them the okay to say, well, actually, Greg, I didn't want to say this. But yeah, I think you're trying to trick us. Are you trying to be a smarty pants here? So I didn't go that road. So I only got some of that feedback afterwards, and we'll get some more 
as this next handout goes out. But the general conversation, um, we talked a little bit about, you know, what suspicion is. We talked a little bit about the nature of these two comments. People wanted to know what I thought, and I tried to kind of avoid telling them what I thought uh, for the most part because um, I wanted them to have, you know, a chance to, to think these things through and kind of sit there in this sort of middle space. Nobody really said, in fact, nobody did say at all, Oh, you know, that comment, that statement, no, I'm, t- I'm, I'm going to kind of draw an X through that. I'm not with that. Yeah, and I think, I think there was a lot of trying to engage them, trying to get them in the discussion, trying to get them to see what's important. And then eventually where we got is, you know, it's, it's a, on the one hand, it's a big problem if your church is like this. And I had somebody, a, a couple people come up to me and say, you know, thank you so much my church is like this, and the this is what I'm going to say next. If your church, on the one hand, views biblical truth as a set of propositions that don't contradict each other and form principles, one of the things that's going to come about is that instead of having tensions, we have hierarchies. So, for example, in some of the biblical hermeneutics that I'm reading, I see the Holy Spirit over sin. What that means is, as a Christian, you can be confident. You kind of got to be worried about being humble a little bit. But that's not really as big of a deal because you have the Holy Spirit. Those other people out there, they don't. Now, it's not quite that uh, bald face and, and brash, but it's there. And so what I then pointed to to people is, listen, if you are in a church where there are a bunch of hierarchies set up between, you know, the Holy Spirit and um, sin, between uh, biblical truth and loving your neighbor, I need to love my neighbor. But you know what? If that guy's telling me something that's biblically untrue, well, then there's a, there, I don't have to, you know, I, I know that's biblically untrue. I'm just going to say, uh, you know, hey, sorry, we, we can't really talk about that. Or um, here's my, my view. Here's your, your view. I guess we agree to disagree. Instead of saying, hey, you know what, I've got to pay attention to this because I could be wrong. Even though I've got the Holy Spirit, I could be wrong. And you know what I'm not doing? I'm not loving my neighbor. But the way I put it to them is in these churches, it's not like they've made this decision to create hierarchies. Once again, they've taken up a, a way of viewing biblical truth. They've, it's ingrained in them. It's part of the, as you mentioned, it's part of the culture. And what happens out of that is you get churches where you cannot question some of these hierarchies. In other words, these ways of seeing and being become statements with standards of faithfulness for a community. It's almost like, hey, you know what? You don't have to believe in the Holy Spirit, but you're obviously an outsider here. You're kind of, um, maybe you're a seeker, right? And I would get that. But if somebody says, you know, listen, I'm the pastor and I've got the Holy Spirit and I've got the right way of reading this. You can disagree, but you'd be wrong. Well, maybe, but maybe not. And so what I'm suggesting to people is churches where this type of thing takes place insulate themselves. And we may have talked about this particular point, but I pulled uh, a comment out of a recent, uh, I don't know if it's a recent podcast, but it, uh, our blog post, but it's a something from the Mars Hill Church. And the comment was, and I quote, sinning through questioning. And I raised this them, to them and I said, 
If you are in a church where it's possible to quote sin through questioning, you probably need to get out of that church. I have no idea what it could mean to sin through questioning. That seems like the perfect way for the church uh, governors, governance and the, the pastor to insulate themselves against critique. It also seems like an awfully difficult place for you to grow and change if part of what you need to do is question what's going on in your life and question how some of the things are being done. You're in a no-end situation. Yeah, totally. And one of the guys came back to me and he said, well, you know, someone could sin through just constantly pestering someone with questions. And I, <laughs> I just, I didn't, I didn't fully come back. One of the things I said to him is, listen, you know, as, a, as, as somebody in, in that particular role, he said, you know, there's a, there's a hierarchy there. It was really, really interesting. There's a hierarchy there and there's, there's teacher and, and being taught and they have to, they have to, you know, respect that. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's just interesting. Just hearing that, it's like, it's like so. When I, and I'm hearing you kind of deliver that with some fire. There, there's a sense of like, no, that's what the rules are. The the rule yeah. is that the the pastor, because he's the pastor, just has the right answers. And, yeah, and you have to. You you can't. You're you're. I mean, you you are underneath the pastor, and the pastor. You know, you got to be really careful there because he probably has the right answers, and you probably don't because he's the pastor. <laughs> yeah. My my response back was if as a facilitator with any any skill whatsoever, and I certainly have this skill at least, even if I didn't have the skill of of you know posing the incisive question at the incisive moment to my audience earlier, I said, Listen, I can say to that person, you know what, I can tell that you have some questions and you're really interested in this subject. Let's connect afterwards. I'm gonna put the rest of your questions on hold for now though, so that we can either go on or there's room for other people's questions. Mm. Super easy. What I should have further said is, and I didn't, is there is a huge gap between being annoying and being sinful. Huge gap. Number one. Number two, that person is communicating something to me. Much as a child, when they're crying, is telling me, trying to tell me something and not trying to annoy me, that person has a need. And I can either say, hey, you know what? You're getting in the way of my lecture. And maybe sometimes they are, right? And maybe sometimes you could, I could manage it as I suggested and kind of say, acknowledge them and parking lot it. Or, you know, I'm going to see you afterwards. Come down and see me. Be great to talk a little more. But there is no way, there is nothing. I mean, I've been thinking about this. And if you have any ideas, I would love to know. But this notion of sinning through questioning is, is absolutely 100% the sort of thing that if you're seeing this in your church, if this notion exists in your church, oh my goodness, be very, 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 very afraid. Be very leery. Well, I would, I, yeah, no, I would, I would totally agree with that. I think there's a more subtle version of it, though. There's what a more that? subtle version, which is, oh, questioning and doubting, and there's a, to there's, oh, we, we totally make room for that, and, and, you know, if that's where you're at, you know, we. We accept you as you are as much as we can take it. <laughs> like, like as much as it's not too uncomfortable for us. And then actually it becomes a problem. Like, I, so until somebody gets over their questions. You, you can go through your questions and go through that. We know we've got the right answers. We'll just kind of wait and be patient with you. Yeah, well, I don't know. I know, we, I know we're, we, we're fanboys of Labrie and I probably always <laughs> will be. But my experience of Labrie was actually a place where you you 
where the doubts and the questions really, really, truly were okay. Yeah. And my experience of Christian subculture is they're okay until it gets uncomfortable or they're okay until you become annoying because you, you've kind of exhausted my patience. In other words, this all works for me and it, or it, this all works for us except for you. And we'll love you and accept you because we're supposed to, I mean, we're commanded to, we have to, to be good Christians and to keep following the system. And so we'll do that, but we'll do that until we get tired or until we think that you should have gotten it by now. So you you can be stupid for so long. And after that, you're trying. Oh, I would no, I would. (laughs) That's too harsh. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking of some of the small groups that I was in when I was going to church and when I would kind of tiptoe out to, you know, I would tiptoe out and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to float some of my doubts here. I'm going to float some of my, I'm not so sure. And I, I don't know, maybe in hindsight, maybe it was more me than them, but the blank stares and the lack of empathy and the lap, lack of connection with where I was mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. just, it became uncomfortable for me. And it also, my read of it was, they don't, not that they thought I was a freak or maybe that they didn't have patience for me. It was just a sense of, they didn't have any idea how to relate to me. Uh-huh. They, didn't, they didn't have any idea how to, I'm, it sounds like I'm blaming them. I'm really not. It was more just a sense of just a complete disconnect with what I was saying, where I was coming from, or any idea how to relate with what I was sharing. Does that, think, make, is you, that making any sense? Yeah, it makes to- total okay. sense. I'm wondering, it sounds like kind of a cross between, hey, you stumped me with that one, and oh boy, that's a little scary. Yeah, this is a little I, I, uncomfortable. <laughs> the fact I don't have an answer for that is actually frightening me. I mean, how much... I don't know. I don't know about the... I don't know if that frightened them. So, But yeah, but to back to your question about uh, sending through asking questions, I've never... I've never heard that. Although, there might be another more subtle version of that too, which is, you know... God says that I believe it and that settles it for me and it should settle it for you. So, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you can kind of question a little bit, but this is seven other podcasts and maybe six we've already done. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the Bible's really clear about what you need to do and how God works. And the fact that either it doesn't make sense to you or that you're not willing to embrace it, I mean, it's kind of cut and dry. So you can, you can, question a little bit but you know you really just need to um you know your your questioning or your doubting is is really just kind of because you don't want to you're looking for oh. an easier way or something and so uh yeah i guess but you can doubt and question a little bit but you know it's pretty clear what you need to do and for some reason you just don't want to do it that sounds pretty close to the. Sounds like that's the, the delayed <laughs> you fuse before you get to questioning, <laughs> sending through questioning. Maybe, yeah, maybe I don't know. 
so that that's where I was heading in any event. And it, it looks like, you know, I had a, a one person talk to me and say, yeah, my church is like that. I can't raise these things. If I do, then I'm, um, I'm bucking the system, you know, which is me, what I mean by standards of faithfulness. It's like standards of faithfulness in, in a Christian church should be, you know, Jesus is the son of God. Jesus, uh, died and rose again. Uh, you know, God is, uh, a spirit, uh, you know, uh, the, the relationship between the, 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 the patriarchs, the covenant, prophecies about the Messiah, Jesus coming, etc. Like, these are standards of faithfulness. They're, they're things, while I wouldn't say that the Nicene Creed or any of the creeds, either properly or fully, because you can't be proper if you're not full, um, uh, uh, summarizes Christian faith, it's things like that. But it's, it's not things like, don't question, or you know what, you're a liberal. Like, admittedly, you know, if you get somebody like Greta Vosper, who's written um, With or Without God, and she's head of uh, the progressive Christianity movement, she's, she's avowedly a liberal. Yes, I'm a liberal, and here's what God's about. Well, you know what, I still want to listen to Greta Vosper. I may not agree with her view about who God is, but I'm sure that I can learn a few things through her. Or if I can't, I won't know that until I give her the chance. I think that's the maybe somewhat unfamiliar or new perspective that you're advocating, I think I hear in your thesis, which is we can learn from people that are outside of our system, which yes. which is difficult because the system says that the system is the only system that has the right answer. Well, but even within the system, no, 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 back up, back up, back up, because even within the system, we are taking it the wrong way. This is my whole thing about propositions leading to principles as opposed to tensions, right? You know, how can you have a right answer between the Holy Spirit changes people and makes them better and, 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 um, so that they, they're more truthful and they can read uh, the Bible and God's word and God, you know, read God's word in God's way versus, Hey, look at this. You know, you can have the best doctrine you like and you can still uh, dominate and, and quasi enslave people. Like there, there, there is no, there is no single way of seeing that. It's, it's a tension that needs to be brought into balance and needs so that both sides of it can have play and can have the ability. And when you create hierarchies out of that, that's, 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 that's exactly the problem, right? So it's not just this one sort of, one way, one view, one truth, etc. It's it's got to be intention. It doesn't mean there's no truth, but it means that truth and life are bigger than that, and we need to take that into account. And I think the Bible does it. And I think the way that people have been reading it, typically, and some of these guys that I've looked at in my thesis, particularly, I'm looking at them because I think they've read it in ways that don't work. They've read it in ways that collapse tensions and make it so, you know, oh, the Christians are just smarter and better. Or, you know, in order for non-Christians to be able to understand anything at all about the Bible, they have to believe it first. Well, hello, what would you do if a Muslim said to you, listen, the problem with Christ- Christianity is all wrong and Muslim- and Islam is right, and if you would only embrace that, you'd see it. Well, of course you'd never accept that. So why on earth would you say the same thing to a non-Christian? Ridiculous. And yet you're seeing some of this in biblical hermeneutics, in like prominent authors who are writing scholarly texts. Am I on my hobby horse? I think I am. <laughs> well, anything else that you, anything else you wanted to share or relate from your experiences of giving this lecture? 
Well, I'd, I'm really interested to see how my next uh, handout is going to strike them, which is the one about, you know, was that a trick? And then kind of looking at it. And so far, I've got two people talking to me about either it's a trick or, yeah, my church is like that. And and then I'd love to follow up and just let you know how the next one goes. The next one, I'm going to really dive into the content. Okay. Now, could we post PDFs of these on the website? Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. So if you go to the notes for this episode, so untanglingchristianity.com slash 63, we'll have links to the PDFs of these documents and things that Greg was referring to. Thanks for listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So leave a comment on the website at untanglingchristianity.com slash 63. If you'd like to be notified by email when new episodes are released or other news, subscribe to our mailing list, also available in the right sidebar of the website. We welcome your questions, comments, or suggested future discussion topics by email. Send those to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is made possible by Kevin McLeod over at Incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Tune in next week for a new episode. <laughs>